Welcome to the Progress Your Health podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, so what are we going to do later today? I don't know. Hopefully get to go, maybe go for a hike or a long walk. Yeah, yeah. The weather's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, uh, you know, August in Western Washington. Beautiful. Uh, it doesn't get too hot here. You know, we still have some patients in the Southwest and I, you know, I, when I'm getting ready to talk to them, I look at the weather app uh-huh. and I see those triple digits, you know, 105, 109, 110. And it, I have to say, it makes me cringe a little bit. I remember living in the Southwest in August. I couldn't wait for August to be over with. Like, come on, let's get to September. Let's get to the middle of September. And now I'm like, I just want August to last forever. Please go slow, go slow. Yeah, it's amazing <laughs> at how, how much of a contrast. Like you and I in the summertime, like so June, July, August, Maybe, maybe it seems like uh, in the Southwest Labor Day is when everything starts to change. It's almost like you can feel it. Like you wake up one of those mornings and it's like, oh, okay, summer's, summer's it's just. It's still pretty warm, but at least you're on the tail end. Yeah, but you can start to feel <laughs> like it starts to, you know, you get rid of some of those 110 degree days and I'll be in the upper 90s, maybe 100. And then it starts to gradually trickle down. But I remember you and I used to, you know, we'd go to California, we'd go to the mountains, we go to Utah to try to just get, get a reprieve from the heat. I remember one time, actually with your sister, we actually went camping in Utah. We were at this uh, place uh, in the fish, I think it was uh, Fish Lake National Forest or something, just north of, uh, you know, there's a really popular area there called Duck Creek, um, which is kind of by uh, Zion National Park. We used to go to Zion all the time. But even the summer there, it's still blazing hot. It's still hot. Uh, so we'd either go up to Duck Creek or we went to this camping, this one, this little little campground in the, you know, literally at like 9,000 feet. Uh, and it was like 65 degrees up there in July. It was beautiful. We were actually cold. I was going to say, we were cold. <laughs> yeah. And then we came down, we, um, you know, we came down like the, you know, after we're done on the weekend and we got down to, you know, St. George, uh, St. George, Utah, I think it was, or maybe Cedar City or something. Which I love St. George, Utah. Yeah, yeah. And it was like a hundred degrees, you know, we went from like 65 degrees, come down the mountain and it's like 102. It was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, uh, that, you know, that, that contrast is really hard to deal with. You know, obviously we don't have that contrast here. No, it's going to uh, be in the high 60s today, which is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bellingham doesn't really get much above, uh, you know, 70, 75. That's a pretty, you know, pretty nice, you know, kind of a hot day in, in northern western Washington. Uh, so, uh, we'll stop droning on right. about the weather, uh, but you know, it's a, uh, you know, it's a big deal. It changes all the time. I've kind of sound like my dad, like my dad always used to talk about the weather and this is well before they used to have the internet and everything, you know, weather and gas prices. That was the thing that he was always, you know, concerned about, um, always complaining that gas was too high and, you know, he never liked it hot. His favorite kind of weather was 52 and drizzling all and the he time. He would have loved it here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He would have, you know, he would have been fine. I'm not sure why he probably would have already done pretty well in the, in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, so this question, question is, uh, is from Mary. Uh, granted, we're changing the name. I think we just did a Mary a couple episodes ago. We're not very creative with the names. <laughs> yeah, but again, it's just to try to, you know, somewhat try to protect identity. Not that, you know, we, we really need to do that, but, you know, just for anonymity's sake. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and read the question from uh, Mary. 
Okay, so this is from Mary. I am 58 years old and lost my thyroid to cancer eight years ago. I'm finding it impossible to lose weight and have thinning hair near my hairline and no eyebrows. I started Biest Cream 50-50 ratio, 2.5 milligrams, progesterone 175 milligrams, and testosterone 1 milliliter. About a year ago, um, sounds like about a year ago she had started that, um, but about a year ago it was lower doses and then went up to those as recently my doctor had me using it twice a day, the cream, and then the progesterone one pill at night because my levels have shown that my progesterone is seven, estradiol less than five, that means it's not even in the bloodstream, uh, free testosterone, 1.2, total testosterone, six. I'm so afraid I'm going to gain weight more or my hair or more hair loss from some of the things I've read. Please give me your opinion. I also take Tyrosent and Cytomel for my thyroid. Do I have to worry about any medication interactions? Please help. Mary. Yeah, so uh, this is a good one. This is, uh, we've seen quite a few people with thyroid cancer over the years. Uh, You know, thyroid cancer patients, um, you know, they've usually had their thyroid gland removed, sometimes half the gland removed. Hopefully the entire gland all removed. Yeah, right. uh, If if you got cancer, you might as well just, you know, at that point, you you might as well just take the whole thing out, right? Uh, So they automatically, because the gland is removed, they automatically go into a different category than everybody else that does have a thyroid gland. And I think that gets missed sometimes as far as their management goes. So when you and I were discussing this case, uh, she's focusing on her female hormones. And I'm like, well, what is her tyrosine and cytomel dose? She's, you know, she's losing her hair. She's got no eyebrows. Uh, clearly, she is under medicated when it comes to her thyroid medication, uh, and which is, you know, really common for someone like this. Possibly. She doesn't tell us her TSH, which is the thyroid stimulating hormone, or any of her the other thyroid function tests, such as the free T4 or the free T3. But I I can tell that she is being treated from the standpoint of trying to replace her T4 and trying to replace her T3 because Tyrosent is actually not a bad medication. It's um, much more hypoallergenic. It doesn't have the lactose in it, such as Cytomel or, le- or your traditional levothyroxine because I don't want to have the lactose or any of those excipients in it. So the Tyrosent really isn't too bad. And Cytomel itself is an instant release T3, which we could drone on and on and on about. But but the point being that she's being prescribed a T4 and a T3, which in some ways is a, is a good thing. You know, when somebody's just on T4 monotherapy, you know, that really isn't the best because you want to make sure that T4 is converting to T3. And one side thing, so I'm going to go back to the TSH, is the TSH, the thyroid stimulating hormone in someone that's had thyroid cancer, I always want to keep that suppressed. You know, so there's a reference range of 0.45 to 4.5. And in somebody that's had thyroid cancer and had their entire thyroid removed is you want to keep that under that 0.45. Because when you keep that TSH suppressed, any little cells that might have not been taken out from her thyroid are dormant. Where when that TSH goes up to two and a half, three, some of those cells start to get activated and then they want to grow. And the last thing you want to do with somebody that's had a previous thyroid cancer is have their thyroid start to grow back. Yeah, right. So and we, you and I were just talking about this for another case that we actually have. Uh, and you uh, suggested that we, you know, test their thyroglobulin, not thyroglobulin antibody. When you're screening for Hashimoto's, there's anti-TPO or anti-thyroid peroxidase antibody, and there's thyroglobulin antibody. That's for Hashimoto's or screening or monitoring or diagnosing Hashimoto's, but just regular thyroglobulin 
is what you're referring to. Yes. Yeah, so thyroglobulin is another hormone that you test with somebody that doesn't have a thyroid for previous removal from thyroid cancer. So it tells you if it's growing back. So, um, so you would do a TSH, a thyroglobulin, a free T4 and a free T3 definitely to check with this. So like Dr. Mackey said is perhaps her tyrosine and cytomel might be a little bit too low. So that's inhibiting the thyroid function. I will say from somebody that has had a hypothyroid and they've lost their eyebrows, it's in some ways, um, very hard to grow them completely all back. They will grow back a little bit, but it's very hard to get them to grow back. But the hair thinning, um, once you, you know, correct for the thyroid, the hair thinning from, you know, low thyroid definitely does grow back. So I wouldn't, so that was my first standout. And that was Dr. Mackey's first standout was, you know, it's probably about the thyroid because really the doses of hormones that she's on is not very high and certainly not high enough to cause, um, weight gain or making it hard to lose weight because her testosterone is pretty low. So I wouldn't, you know, one milliliter, that's not a lot of testosterone, but now she's starting to use it twice a day. So maybe the two milligrams for her individually might be a little bit too high and causing a little bit of thinning, but it's not so much that it would cause trouble with the weight loss. Sure. Hormones are all steroids. You take too many steroids, you're going to have weight gain. And I've had definitely women gain weight from hormones because they're too high, but her doses really, I wouldn't say that they're high enough to really yeah. have no, her, her, impact. I, I mean, certainly like you said, okay, uh, too much progesterone, too much testosterone, too much estrogen. Okay. Yeah. They can, they can contribute to a certain amount of, uh, what I would call residual weight gain. You might gain, you know, five to 10 pounds or something, or even four to seven pounds, but you're not going to keep gaining weight over and over and over because those hormones are not fat, uh, fat storing hormones. They are steroids, right? So you got to be careful with them, but they are not going to cause perpetual weight gain. So she's afraid of gaining weight by raising the dose. But when it sounds like she's having a tough time also losing it. Yeah, right. Which is every menopausal woman. And for that matter, every perimenopausal woman's problem, because when the hormones decline is what makes it so difficult. It's not a matter of having too much of them. Now, I will say on, you know, as a you know flip side of that, when a woman's estrogen dominant, so she's still menstruating, she's producing an excessive amount of estrogen. She's got fibroids, she's got endometriosis, she's got all these things. Now that can contribute to the weight gain in that, in that situation, but it's not exclusive just to the female hormones. There's usually some, uh, something else going on, either cortisol, high stress or insulin that is driving the weight gain it is not a, res- a direct result of the female hormones, uh, you know. And honestly, her estradiol level is at five, less than five. Uh, you know, with uh, static dosing using bias, uh, where do you try to like to get that bias level to? You know, it does depend on the person. You know, if they have a uterus, if they have fibroids, but really. Less than five is like nothing in the bloodstream. They can't even find it in the bloodstream. Is usually I like to keep it between 30 and 80. When you have it between 30 and 80, that's really um, a pretty good dose. I have a few women that we have closer to 100 or a little bit over 100, but their endometrial lining of their uterus is nice and thin. They feel really good on that level. They're, you know, everything looks good. There's no risk factors associated. But on the typical, I would say just in my patient population since 2004, you know, dealing with hormones is between probably, you know, 30 to 40 up to 80, probably with 60 kind of being that little magic number for most of them. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say 50 myself. You're right. Uh, it, you know, you don't want that number to be too high and maybe an upper end would be depending on the woman between if she has a uterus, this is all about if they, she has a uterus or not, uh, is you know, somewhere between let's say 75 and 125 as a range. Because if you give her too much, if you give her too much biased, eventually she's either going to have, you know, really uncomfortable breast tenderness. That's usually the first sign that 
that doesn't kind of uh, go away or regress, or she's going to eventually start having some spotting or bleeding problems. Now, when, uh, the thing to realize too, when you're on hormones, bleeding and spotting is kind of par for the course, right? It may happen at some point. It's okay. It's not an emergency. You don't have to run to get a transvaginal ultrasound. If it continues over time, then it's a different story. Either the progesterone dose needs to go up, the estrogen dose needs to go down, or something needs to adjust there. Um, but you know, there's really no, you know, those kind of modifications are fairly easy to do. Uh, and the woman's body kind of tells us what the dose is going to be eventually, right? You don't start on a dose and stay on the dose. You know, we always titrate usually everything all the time. Uh, but the woman's symptom picture and what her body, you know, kind of how her body responds, you know, kind of, uh, you know, will give us, a, you know, will give us an, uh, an idea of where that dose should be. And this is a question we get from so many women is when they're going to be put on bioidentical hormones or they're going to be put on hormone therapy, they're terrified of gaining weight. And I get it, you know, it's hard to lose it. And I'm, I'm, I'm a perimenopausal female myself, you know, at this moment that, Hey, you know, I don't want to do anything that's going to help contribute to weight gain. And so just to kind of let women know is the bioidentical hormones, when you're using a bias, when you're using a sustained release progesterone, when you're using a tiny, 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 tiny little bit of testosterone, that is not going to make you gain weight. If anything, I find that it helps women lose weight. Yeah, right. It might not help with the weight loss directly, but as I said a few minutes ago, what is perimenopause and menopause? The female hormones are disappearing. They have, you know, some women have lots of stress in their, you know, in their uh, late 40s to their early to mid 50s. Uh, so you have this kind of uncontrolled environment where there's no balance between the sex hormones and the stress hormones. Uh, and really, that's that's why women go through all of these changes, because it really comes down to, uh, you know, kind of unabated stress response. They don't sleep. They're taking care of the kids. They're working full time. They're exercising too much. All the things that we talk about in this podcast basically manifest in them, you know, having this, uh, you know, inability to lose weight, keep gaining weight, they can't sleep, they have all these things going on. Uh, it is, uh, you know, it is kind of a, a nightmare scenario. That's because of the lack of hormones, the lack of female hormones, specifically estrogen progesterone. I want women to think that estrogen, like you always say, you know, I'm biased, I think testosterone is the best hormone, but you think estrogen, estrogen is, and for a woman, that is the best hormone, right? That is exactly that. That's what makes a woman a woman. Uh, so the more, in some ways, as long as it doesn't become a runaway freight train, the more of it she has, the better she feels, right? The more of it she has, the better she looks within reason. I mean, I'm talking weight wise because estrogen is relatively a slimming hormone uh, that, you know, helps you keep certain enzymes. There's an enzyme literally called lip lipoprotein lipase that estrogen basically turns that enzyme off, which basically tells our body to store fat and cortisol activates that enzyme. So the more cortisol you have, this lipoprotein lipase, cortisol is a, that's why stress makes us gain weight because it activates this enzyme and it tells our body to, and, is, and if our insulin's high. Can you explain it, that again? You said that hormone, estrogen turns it on or turns it off? turns it off. Okay? Turns it off. So okay. It so turns off, it turns off fat storage, but cortisol it. turns okay. it on. So that horn, that lipase will turn our estrogen will tell that turn off that lipase. So they actually having more estrogen will help reduce the storage of fat. Yeah, right. And that's also in the presence of insulin. Insulin is the gatekeeper when it comes to, to weight gain and fat storage. Now we don't want to get into the debate, you know, uh, you know, neuroscience researchers say that weight gain and obesity is all in the brain. And then all the low carb people say that it's all insulin. 
I think obviously it's a combination of both of those. It's not one or the other, but they just argue back and forth. I heard a podcast on Joe Rogan thing. They're you know just arguing literally back and forth, who's right, who's wrong, and it was it was not about how to solve the problem. It was just arguing, you know, like a right and who's wrong. Yeah, right. Who's right, who's wrong, as opposed to, okay, well, what's the solution to the thing? That's what we're all trying to figure out. Okay, we're all trying to figure out how in our complicated 21st century environment that our genetics don't mesh well with how we live these days. That's why we have all these age-related diseases and it's all based on our lifestyle, right? All the things that we deal with with other patients, everything is related to our lifestyle. We don't sleep enough. We don't get enough relaxation. We don't eat right. We eat the wrong things. We're too stressed out. We're worried about the mortgage. We're worried about work. We're worried about all these things. And that manifests into eventually dysfunction, weight gain, disease, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so, uh, to say that, you know, uh, hormones themselves, uh, uh, you know, especially the female hormones, uh, again, you know, we've always say when you're 25, you have lots of hormone, uh, lots of sex hormones for both males and females. That's when you're the healthiest in your life, right? If uh, those, if estrogen progesterone actually cause women to weight, gain weight by themselves, then every pregnant woman would literally blow up like a balloon, right? Because their, their uh, estrogen progesterone levels are just through the roof. We don't even realize how high their hormone levels are when a woman's pregnant. And to think that, and this is no criticism of Mary by any means, but to think that a little bit of uh, progesterone, testosterone, and bias is going to cause that to happen, you know, it just doesn't. Usually those hormones are actually more beneficial in some respects. So in her case, uh, we think that not less is always more because that's there's a caveat to that. Making sure that you have enough to make sure the dosing is right. Uh, so that way, her symptoms, whatever those symptoms might be, uh, in this case, you know, uh, you know, the hormones themselves are not going to help you directly lose weight, although in some cases they can. We've seen that many times, but it creates an environment for weight loss to actually happen. So some of those enzymes and receptors and different things get turned on and turned off, and now weight loss is possible because you're not just swimming in cortisol all the time. That is really where those hormones kind of come into play and actually provide some benefit. Exactly. So like like you said, you know, when we first saw this question, I'm sure it made me think about, you know, a lot of women that I see, they are, they're concerned about taking hormones and gaining weight. So know that that's not the case. It's about balancing those hormones. And then you're not going to gain weight on hormones. <laughs> you're just, you know, it's sure, sure. Convention, some conventional hormones, um, some, the, some of the patches. Sure. Yeah. You're going to gain weight on that. But when you're doing a biased and doing it, you know, various ratios between 50, 50 and 80, 20, combining that with a little progesterone, um, or actually a lot of progesterone, because I love progesterone too. That's also my second favorite hormone. And then maybe a teeny tiny testosterone if needed. That's not going to cause you to gain weight. If anything, that's going to help, you know, a lot of those symptom pictures help us achieve our goals. And then you feel better. When you feel better, you eat better. When you feel better and you're eating better, you might feel and have more energy. You might be inclined to do a little bit more walking or a little bit more exercise. You know, it all kind of comes together. Yeah, right. Now, as we talked about earlier, and we started off, the, the initial response was her thyroid dosing was probably not right or enough uh, because she's still having some of those symptoms. Uh, if you And because she's had her thyroid gland removed, um, these types of patients always are on the highest dose of, uh, if we took a, a population of, if we took a population of thyroid patients that were, you know, that were diagnosed hypothyroid, either surgical, in this case, surgical, or just diagnosed hypothyroid, they had a, initially had a TSH above 4.5, that the 
ones that have had their thyroid gland removed are always, at least in our practice anyways, are always, because we know how to dose properly, are always proportionally higher than everybody else. Uh, and this this particular case, I think that's exactly the same thing that's happening. I think that she just really underdosed on the thyroid, uh, you know, and maybe, you know, for, for this situation, you know, tyrosine and cytomel might not be our first uh, choice or first option. I know it's becoming very popular, this kind of combination, we like to do that a little bit differently. Uh, and, you know, like you said, too, the TSH becomes almost irrelevant because she doesn't have a gland anymore. The TSH comes from the brain. It comes from the pituitary that stimulates the thyroid gland. Well, if there's no more thyroid gland there, uh, we don't need to worry about the TSH. You cannot dose this kind of a patient based on the TSH alone. You have to look at some other data or some other numbers, and the free T3 is something that should be the, the more important hormone that should be tr- uh, tracked and followed and monitored. Exactly. So like you had talked about the adrenal glands with cortisol, you could, we had talked about the, basically the sex hormones with the estrogen and progesterone, you know, then we've got the testosterone, which on a side note, I kind of consider more of an adrenal hormone for females. And then we're talking about the thyroid. It really is a collaborative process here on making sure all of that is balanced together in terms of getting the goals, especially for weight loss or preventing weight gain. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, And that's really complicated. Like seriously, that whole, you know, symphony of hormones, really, you know, we're talking lots of different, very powerful, uh, what we consider metabolic hormones, insulin, cortisol, thyroid, and then your secondary sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. There's a lot going on there. um, But always those, those primary, the hormones we can't live without insulin, cortisol, thyroid, those hormones um, dictate everything else in most cases. Um, So when we're seeing things like this, those have to be addressed in some way. Uh, and the, you know, we always kind of talk about that cake foundation. The secondary hormones uh, are there to kind of round everything out and, you know, and maybe alleviate certain symptoms. But if you don't deal properly enough with those metabolic hormones, then, you know, then uh, you're kind of walking uphill backwards. So yeah. in a, you know, in these types of cases, we would dial back focus on those adrenals, the cortisol, the insulin, um, which comes from the pancreas, and then focus on the thyroid. And then like Dr. Mackey had said, is use the sex hormones, the secondary sex hormones, like the estrogen and progesterone, you know, as the frosting on the cake. We got to build the foundation first. Otherwise, they're, they might feel good for a second, but then ultimately they're not going to feel good and you're back to the drawing board. Yeah, and even cases like this, and I'm not saying exactly in Mary's case, but a case like this, even rhythmic dosing where the dose, where the estrogen progesterone doses actually go up, you know, quite a bit higher, actually can, you know, kind of help on that weight loss side. And especially if there's changes to the hair, getting the hair to change the way you want it to, especially in a menopausal woman is very difficult, right? That's, that's a really challenging problem. But again, that's because of lack of hormone. In this case, it could be female hormones, it could be thyroid hormone, it, we don't know her stress situation, it could be too much cortisol. Uh, so uh, again, part of a way to offset some of those perimenopausal and menopausal symptoms is making sure that there's a buffer in some respects. The female hormones, I don't know how how many times I've heard it, and because I've asked the question on purpose, but the you know the women that are in their you know late forties to early fifties that start on BHRT, uh, the 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 female hormones become their stress buffer, okay? Their stress tolerance goes down. They don't have the capacity they did even a few years ago because those hormones are gone. Uh, you give them some of those hormones and all of a sudden now they can start to handle their their sometimes very chaotic lives and at least they're able to hold their head above water. They're not drowning, you know, in a, you know, in just, in a, you know, and, uh, you know, maybe they're moms or maybe it's the motherly instinct, but women tend to give 
a lot of themselves to everybody else around them and then themselves kind of get sacrificed, right? So they take care of the husband, which can sometimes just be a bigger kid. You know, they take care of the kids, they take care of the work, they take care of all these things and they kind of get sacrificed and that just raises stress and then all these things start to manifest off of that, you know, so... You know, BHRT in some ways is a way to kind of help empower women, help them give back the tools that they need, in this case, hormones, uh, to be able to kind of run the show, run, run their lives effectively, efficiently, and hopefully be happy at the same time. And not to overwhelm, you know, the listeners here, so not to overwhelm any of you. Dr. Mack is right. This is really complex. But the cool thing with BHRT is we have so many different options. I don't have one per, I don't, gosh, I I have a lot of patients, but I certainly, not everybody takes the same thing. It's so individualized because we have so many options to adjust for that individual. So definitely with Mary, there just needs to be a little bit more adjustment, maybe dial back, look at the picture a little bit differently, look at those adrenal glands, which is, um, you know, what we do with all the patients. So it's just, just finding that right balance for each individual. Yeah. And, uh, I would suggest as just something very simple is just look at the free T3 level on your, on your most recent lab test for her or for anyone else that has a thyroid problem. Um, that has a reference range depending on the lab of 2.3 to 4.4. Uh, some labs it's 2.0 to 4.4 or 4.2, but 2.3 to 4.4, we always want that number to be either high end normal, or in some cases, even a little bit above the reference range. Uh, because especially in a a case like this where her thyroid glands removed, uh, we want that number to be as high as possible so she can actually function in the best way possible. Uh, you know, if her free T3, um, in this particular case, if her free T3 is in the twos, that's part of the problem. That number needs to be in the threes, the low fours, or even the mid fours or, or above. And I know there is some discussion at some of these, you know, different endocrinology associations that they're contemplating increasing the reference range for people that have been on medications, uh, you know, specifically the free T3 level, because the medications kind of change all that. And we you know, unfortunately, doctors, they use numbers a little bit too dogmatically that if you are, you know, out, if your TSH is too low, you're, they lower the dose. If your free T3 is too high, they lower your dose. They don't take the patient into consideration enough. Uh, the patient, when it comes to thyroid, the patient will always know when they're over-medicated, always before the doctor does. You don't need a lab test to tell if a patient's over-medicated because when it comes to thyroid, they will have some very classic symptoms, maybe an increase in heart rate. They'll have some anxiety. They'll have insomnia. They'll have some very specific things that tend to show up that are related to that medication that if they don't have those, but their numbers don't look right, could be when they took their, it could be when they took their medication based on those blood tests. Uh, you know, and I know there's some discussion out there too about t medication timing on blood tests. Uh, you know, and that's a whole other discussion. I think we just did a podcast on that probably about three or four episodes ago because you, you know, in, you know, you can't just go to the lab whenever you want or take it 24 hours before. Uh, there's a whole process there that we run our patients through so we can see the change of a baseline to improvement. Uh, and if you're not taking your medication properly the way that we recommend, uh, then you're getting skewed results and you might either be either overdosed or underdosed depending on how that plays out. Exactly. Well, my goodness, with thyroid, I mean... And all the thyroid testing, I mean, we could get into reverse T3, we can get into Hashimoto's, there's so, so much, which we definitely will, and we have in past podcasts, but um, I'd say just to kind of wrap this one up, for Mary, what would you say? 
Uh, I would, like I said, I would just go back to her practitioner and I'd just have the thyroid, um, you know, kind of looked at a little bit more and the, she doesn't list her site. You know, the, the most important thing of this entire question is what is her cytomel and what is her tyrosine dose? And she left that part and, out. And that's because just like a lot of females, they're wondering about the hormones. Am I going to gain weight? So know that, you know, bioidentical hormones, when you're doing a biased, I'm going to say it again with that progesterone, it's not going to make you gain weight. I mean, sure, if somebody was maybe 38 and taking some of these bioidentical hormones when they don't need them because they have ovaries and they're functioning, yeah, that's going to make, you know, put too many hormones on top of hormones that could potentially be a steroid effect and cause gain weight gain. But for, you know, a postmenopausal female, that's not going to that's not going to be the cause of the weight gain. If anything, it's just like, you know, wonderfully what Mary's practitioner did was actually increase up her doses to kind of help buffer that. Yeah, right. Yeah, I do like her prescriptions. Like, you know, those prescriptions are actually, you know, actually very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would agree with a lot of what she's doing, but it comes down to dosing on all fronts. It comes down to the estrogen dosing, the progesterone dosing, the testosterone dosing. I like to see her testosterone is only at one, you know, one, one milligram. That's great. So she's not getting a truckload of testosterone for no reason. Um, but she doesn't put in the, you know, the tyrosine or the cytomel. And in this particular case, because of her history, those, the dosing of those two things are the most important things to, to, to kind of reevaluate, focus on those and then come back to the female hormones. And then hopefully there's a different result, you know, over the course of a, another one to three months or something like that. So. Uh, do you have anything else to add or is this one uh, good for now? I think this one's really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so again, if you have any questions yourself, you can shoot us an email at pro- uh, help at progressionhealth.com. Uh, that's help at progressionhealth.com. Uh, uh, like I say on every podcast, we can't get to all questions, uh, but we do like compliments. So, you know, that might, <laughs> you know, help your chances of, uh, we do kind of look at all of them and kind of decide and, uh, you know, the ones that uh, either relate to cases we already have or ones that we think that we could have a good discussion about like this one. I think this is a really good discussion. Uh, you know, um, please reach out and we'll do what we can to help. Uh, until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.